This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 26th of August 2021. And of course, Norman, in Australia at the moment, there's two coronavirus vaccines that are going into the arms of Australians. There's AstraZeneca, which we've manufactured here in Australia and we have it in its millions. And there's Pfizer, which comes in from overseas. And the early numbers sort of indicated that Pfizer perhaps had an advantage in terms of how well it worked at protecting people against the disease. And of course, there's been a lot of coverage, including on this show, about the very rare but very serious side effect that can happen with AstraZeneca and uh, these very particular kinds of blood clots. So there was sort of this feeling at least among the Australian community, that if you could get Pfizer, it was the preferred vaccine. But that might not necessarily be the case. No. And Chris has asked, uh, he has written in and said, a recently released study from the University of Oxford shows the efficacy of Pfizer declined more over time than AstraZeneca. And could be this, this be the reason that in Israel, where the vaccine was primarily Pfizer, the number of deaths are increasing more than in the UK. So just to set the context here, in Israel, the line of hospitalizations is following quite closely the line of increased Delta cases, whereas in Britain, the line of Delta cases, which is going up quite sharply or has been going up quite sharply, the line of hospitalizations has deviated from that and is actually much lower. So there's what they call a decoupling. But you, um, Tegan, on Monday's health report, actually interviewed Sarah Walker from the University of Oxford on that study, particularly, which is a study of the, uh, a British study of Pfizer and Astra and immunity. And I should just say that in Israel, when they look at month by month immunity for following people who were immunized perhaps in January, as each month goes by, there is a declining immunity, which is why they've gone for booster shots now for the over 50s. But what did they find? What was what was the study at the University of Oxford and what did they find, team? Yeah, so this study looked specifically at the UK. So it's not comparing Israel and the UK, but what we know about the UK, we know that they've had AstraZeneca and Pfizer there, just like we've had here. They also looked at the Moderna vaccine, but they didn't have as much data about this. So basically Sarah Walker and her colleagues, they looked at about seven or 800,000 people across the alpha wave in the uh, the sort of first half of this year and the delta wave that's been in the second half of this year and looked at how many people became positive with COVID and what the sort of level of virus was in their bodies and whether they'd been vaccinated or not. And really the study was about seeing how infectious or how many times people had breakthrough infections where you've been vaccinated and you've still gotten infected and then also how infectious they might have been in terms of their ability to pass the virus on. And it's not fantastic news. People are very much protected from catching the virus by being vaccinated. But if you do have a breakthrough infection, it seems like the level of virus in your body is kind of just as high as it would be if you hadn't been vaccinated, even if your symptoms are lower, which is bad news maybe for herd immunity, but that's not really what we're talking about today. But yeah, they did look at these two different vaccines. And just before you go on, they also found that severe disease was still protected against. Yeah, exactly. Like it's definitely good news at an individual level. Being vaccinated definitely bears out the fact that being vaccinated protects you at the individual level. What What it does maybe make harder is this idea of getting to a level of herd immunity where being vaccinated is protecting everyone in the community if, if a certain number of people are vaccinated. But um, in terms of the comparison between the two vaccines, like we were just saying before, it's sort of there was this kind of maybe sense among the general public that 
AstraZeneca might not have been as good as Pfizer because at first early stages of um, after you've been vaccinated, Pfizer does have a slightly higher level of protection. But what this study found and what Chris is sort of asking about in their question is that it does tail off and it looks like maybe uh, AstraZeneca doesn't tail off as quickly. But I think what ends up happening is it's not that AstraZeneca necessarily lasts longer. What Sarah Walker said was that Pfizer was initially better by about 15%, but its protection did decline. So about by the four or five month mark, they were pretty much similar. And with all of the vaccines they looked at in this study, Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca, they were all at least as good as the protection you get from having been infected by the virus without any of the hassle of actually getting uh, sick. Uh, and in most cases, they were actually better than that. And the inconvenience of dying. So in terms of what that means for Australia, it's hard to, it's hard to sort of separate out the experience in the UK with the experience of somewhere like Israel because, like, yeah, they're using different vaccine mixes, but that's not the only thing that's different between those two countries. Uh, but at least for the Australian context, the UK study gives us a bit of a sense of where to go because they're vaccinating people in a similar time frame to us with similar vaccines and uh, we're heading towards similar community levels of vaccination. That's great. Let's go to Rod's question. Yeah, so Rod is asking about this. What effect does it have on our community if those who are fully vaccinated are given some benefits such as reduced restrictions? Well, this is actually something that uh, the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has been hinting might be announced today. Yes. So you've got to be very careful about this because just from that study you mentioned, you can still become infected and you can still pass it on, even though you've probably got about a 50% reduction in the chance of being infected, but it doesn't guarantee anything. So people who are vaccinated can still pass it around. So what restrictions you could safely remove for people who are vaccinated is questionable because you would still need to wear a mask. And the other hidden thing here is that older people are going to be advantaged here because they've had longer time to be immunised and they will benefit from these lifted restrictions more than younger people. And I think there's already a bit of anger from younger people against boomers because um, they've had the advantage in this, which is for good epidemiological reasons because they get more severe disease. But I suspect it could be yet another divisive issue in the community. So we've got to be a bit careful about opening up just on the basis of vaccination just yet. But okay, so yes, it could be divisive in the community, but it also could be the thing that encourages people who are on the fence to go ahead and get the vaccine. Because at the moment, maybe you sort of go, I'm stuck at home anyway, like, what's the point? What kinds of incentives could be useful and meaningful? That you can go to a restaurant, which is well ventilated, and they will only allow people in who are vaccinated. But if you go to a restaurant like that, then you could still pass it on but you're presumably passing it on to other people who are vaccinated, but they could take the infection, infection away with them. So it, you could still get clusters emerging from restaurants if you do that. But that's what you could do is allow people to go to coffee shops and restaurants if you're fully vaccinated. Presuming that the people who work in those restaurants have also had the opportunity to be fully vaccinated, I suppose. That's right. Um, but you've got to take into account ventilation, mask wearing, all that sort of thing. Pretty hard to wear a mask when you're drinking a cup of coffee. So these are, this is problematic until you get the vast majority of the population immunised so that if the virus leaks out, it's not going to do much harm. But New South Wales is back on track to 1,000 cases before the 1st of September, unfortunately. Our optimism of yesterday's coronacast has not borne out. So, so things are already going pear-shaped in New South Wales and they could become worse if you've got more clusters emerging. 
Well, you're saying that we were optimistic in yesterday's Corona Carcinoma, but a few people have written in saying that you're a bit negative and possibly moving the goal, goalposts. Of course, yesterday we were talking about the Doherty modelling and what it does and doesn't mean. What do you have to say about those accusations? Well, just telling it as it is, should we be giving people false hope? I, I, I don't think so. I think you've got to be realistic. And if we expect at 80% there's Freedom Day and it all opens up, which is kind of the rhetoric that you're getting from some of our leaders, that's not going to be. And it's not there in the Doherty report. And people think that it, it is, and it's not. The other issue in the Doherty report is the uh, is the whole case issue, is that we've been led to believe that case numbers don't matter in, in, the, in the Doherty model. Well, in fact, if you look at the text, they do matter. And in fact, there's probably a flaw in their modelling of case numbers, which we might come back to in a future Corona cast. But it's a very complicated story, but they haven't fully accounted for the effect of case numbers on test, trace, isolate and quarantine, which is an essential part of the process moving forward to control the pandemic. So we've just got to be realistic. And if we were to go hunky-dory and jump on the bandwagon and say rah, 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 <laughs> um, we're not setting expectations properly. So you're mentioning testing and tracing and isolating, and that sort of is what sits around contact tracing. Guy's written in about this sort of making the point that even at 80% vaccinated, we may still need to lock down so that contact tracing is not overwhelmed, like you just said. But Guy's sort of wanting to look further into the future and go, when do we stop contact tracing altogether? That's a really important question. It's not really answered in the Doherty modelling. And it's particularly an issue when you don't have children immunised under 12. So quite soon we'll be immunising down to 12. What about the under 12s? So if we get a really big surge of infection, it's really going to move right down into that childhood age group. And you wanted to, you're going to want to be able to control it until you can immunise young kids. So it may well be that until we get to maybe 80, 85% of the whole population, and includes kids maybe from the age of two upwards, that we can relax on contact tracing. Are there any other diseases that we currently live with that we routinely contact trace for? Uh, sexually transmissible diseases, uh, tuberculosis. There are a few diseases that are notifiable where you want to find who you come in contact with. Um, I remember I was in Africa once and caught uh, dengue fever. Uh, I didn't know it was dengue fever. I just I thought it was dying. And <laughs> the blood test came back with dengue fever. And I got contacted by a contact tracer in the public health department wanted to know, although dengue fever you catch from mosquitoes yeah. is not really a highly communicable disease, but they wanted to know where I'd been, who I'd been with and so on. Um, so there was a bit of a, I had a contact tracing interview within 24 hours of the blood test coming back. So the pathology service had contact, had informed the public health department. Did the mosquito get in touch with you or was it a human being? Um, I think the mosquito was probably long dead. <laughs> Well, it's time for us to buzz off. It's all we've got time for on Coronacast today, but you can send your questions to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we will see you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>